Hello and welcome to Critical Line Item. My name's Tom Rablick. Thank you for joining my podcast again. Uh, you will have heard uh, the podcast with Professor Dinesh Kumar, which was the second in my series, looking at the COVID Safe app that the Morrison government has introduced. That podcast looked at the technological aspects and some of the shortcomings that potentially exist in the way in which that COVID Safe app works. If you haven't heard that, I encourage you to have a listen to what Professor Kumar had to say. But today I want to cover off another aspect of the COVID Safe app, and that is what sort of privacy issues and what sort of legal issues are raised when we begin to use an app that transfers our data, some personal facts about us, into the hands of government and and also onto a server that may exist overseas. And to help me explore that, I've got a criminal barrister and a spokesperson uh, for the Australian Lawyers Alliance, Greg Barnes, who also, by the way, is an advisor to the the Julian Assange case. Greg's going to help take us through some of the legal concerns that are raised. Greg, thank you for joining me. Thanks, Tom. Now I'm going to be I'm going to deliberately play the devil's advocate here. Uh, one of the issues that has come up in the context of coronavirus is that it is a contagion, and it relies on people being able to trace contact. The app is one way in which this can be done, and it it seems from all outward signs that it is a positive. A public health initiative to try and minimise the spread. What are the problems that you see in in the way in which this app operates? Well, the first point, uh, Tom, is that um, we certainly at the, the Australian Lawyers Alliance, and my own personal view is that the app itself uh, is a good idea because you rightly say that uh, what we know about coronavirus is that it uh, it does require detective work in looking at who people have been in contact with, and this can assist. One of the issues, though, is the lack of protections in Australia uh, in relation to privacy and the lack of protection that people have under surveillance laws. So it's not the app itself that's the problem. It's the fact that certainly in recent years, we have seen governments and government agencies uh, play fast and loose with uh, surveillance devices in terms of, um, you know, downloading information that they're not entitled to download or downloading information and using it for ulterior purposes or ulterior motives, Uh, despite um, the fact that, for example, here this is a a health app, quite clearly so. One can imagine that uh, the information that's gleaned from it could be abused because it does allow... Uh, security agencies and police to know um, who it is that we've been associating with uh, and when and for how long. So there aren't, so there aren't to your knowledge, any uh, constraints on the ability of law enforcement to access these? Well, look, the issue again, Tom, is that whilst the government has said that there will be... Um, uh, stringent laws which provide for uh, criminal penalties if people uh, use this or misuse this data. 
Um, th those laws already exist, Tom, in anti-surveillance laws that we have uh, around Australia, and yet it hasn't stopped, as we know, on a number of occasions, uh, security agencies, for example, um, seeking to uh, get hold of uh, material um, to trace journalists' movements um, because they want to track down leaks. Uh, it hasn't stopped uh, in the United States, for example, uh, governments saying, we need you to make sure that any app um, has allows access uh, on an urgent basis to security agencies and police agencies. Um, and so governments, whilst they can put in place anti um, well, sorry, let me go back a step. Because governments can put in place laws which seek to protect privacy, uh, unfortunately, what we've also seen is abuse of surveillance laws um, by agencies over a, the last decade. The same may also be true, uh, would it not, Greg, for circumstances where public servants have privileged access to information, for example, there might be, over the years, we've heard of cases where tax office staff have from time to time accessed private information for purposes other than the job they were doing. Your concern here is much broader, which is there is a way in which um, government can try and muzzle any internal criticism because the app provides information about where one person may have been and in in proximity with somebody that may be under government surveillance or under suspicion of uh, providing information, for example. Well, that, well, well that's right. And uh, I know Charles Woolley, uh, the Channel 9 journalist, 60 Minutes journalist, who's a fellow columnist of mine in the Hobart Mercury, wrote a column recently. Uh, talking about this very problem uh, insofar as journalists are concerned. The, the, the issue, though, is the lack of privacy protections in Australia. Australian law does not um, protect privacy in the rigorous sort of way that it ought to, and certainly not in the way that it's protected in countries like Canada or uh, the United Kingdom, where if uh, there are breaches of privacy, for example, agencies misusing data which is meant to be used for one purpose but then being used for other purposes, um, people can take uh, action in the courts in order to recover damages uh, and, and take other actions against um, those agencies. There is no right to privacy as such in Australia. There are privacy laws, but we don't have that entrenched privacy that uh, many countries have in their human rights legislation. And that's one of the issues that you've got here, that uh, we are introducing yet another form of surveillance um, without having those corresponding protections uh, legislated. It, it, it leads to another, another question as well, doesn't it? Uh, because when we look at the online environment that we're in, Greg, uh, people we sit on Twitter, they go on Facebook, they, they're on LinkedIn, they're on a range of social media um, uh, platforms. Uh, some of that information the government uh, asks for may well be disclosed by people um, when they register for those platforms. Um, do you have a 
similar concern with the way those platforms use information as well as the way in which government might? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think what what we know, of course, Tom, and uh, the revelations of Edward Snowden some years ago now told us that uh, Google and Facebook, uh, and Facebook particularly, has got a notorious reputation when it comes to simply handing over data uh, about its users to security agencies, the, the NSA in the United States, the CIA, etc. Um, and certainly there's been um, uh, great concern expressed, and rightly so, about the conduct of Google and the conduct of uh, Facebook. But uh, if you add that, then, uh, you know, or if you put that alongside government, um, you're seeing that, particularly in the Australian context, again, you don't have the sort of protections against that conduct. There's, there are really no big sanctions against security agencies uh, for misusing uh, data, despite the fact that we have in our laws already, and we're told it will be in the this uh, COVID app uh, law, uh, sanctions, criminal sanctions, if there are breaches. But I'm not aware uh, of very many prosecutions at all for members of security agencies or police agencies um, when it comes to uh, downloading uh, or misusing material that they've gained from uh, a user. What's the most egregious example that you've come across of that kind of abuse? Well, I think, Tom, we saw it in the, the um, some of those cases that have arisen recently with the raids on uh, News Limited and the raids on the ABC. Um, as I understand it, uh, that was partly uh, based on um, the misuse of data um, which had been obtained by because, of course, all internet service providers now in Australia have to keep metadata for a number of years. And so whilst they may not have known, uh, security agencies may not have known the content of the email that a journalist might send, say, to you or me, the fact that they've sent it to you or me means that they can then narrow their search and um, that they can then go hunting for the content of that particular email. We see it also, Tom, not just in a deliberate breaches, but we do see uh, um, occasion when data is released um, uh, by mistake. Um, we saw it, for example, I think in 2014 with a whole lot of names of people seeking asylum in Australia. Um, their data was uh, made available uh, accidentally, um, but was made available. Um, and then we, then we have cases where ministers use information. Um, we had Alan Tudge as the Centrelink minister use personal information about an individual who was a Centrelink client who'd been complaining about, I think, the robo-debt scheme. Uh, and suddenly that person's details were revealed by the minister. Um, Peter Dutton, the uh, Minister for Home Affairs, uh, has been guilty of doing the same in releasing um, parts, often inaccurate, of uh, asylum seekers' medical records. So there's a culture that's developed which says, I've got this data, I've got this information, um, it doesn't matter what the law tells me, I'm going to use it if I need to. Now, we, we've spoken about the various problems. What are the solutions to this? Well, I think the, the major solution, Tom, is if you had um, much better privacy legislation in Australia which gave people a right to enforce their privacy and uh, if their privacy was breached they could take legal action 
I mean, if you had a look the other day, Tom, in uh, Melbourne, the case of um, the uh, ex-North Melbourne football coach, Dean Laidley, who found, uh, you know, when he woke up on Monday morning and his family found photographs of himself um, at St Kilda Police Station on Saturday night on the front page of the Herald Sun. Now, somebody asked me, you know, could he take action against the Herald Sun and Victoria Police? Yes, he might be able to, but it's difficult in Australia. It's certainly not clear. So what we need to have is a strong human right to privacy, which is enforceable uh, and which means that uh, there are real sanctions against agencies which uh, which leak material. Because when you get a culture in a society um, that's rights-based, uh, then you have these agencies thinking twice about whether or not they're going, to, they're going to misuse material because they know that the individual concerned can hit them very hard with a lawsuit uh, and, uh, and claim a substantial sum of damages for the wrongdoing. In, in, in the case you just mentioned, it's interesting that somebody even bothered or somebody even thought it was right to take a photograph. Uh, it's extraordinary uh, conduct. And, and again, you know, it, it's not related to the COVID app, but it, but it indicates what I, was indi- what I was talking about before, Tom, and that is a culture uh, amongst police and security agencies in Australia um, which says that somehow it's okay to uh, leak to the media photographs of an individual who's in a police station. Um, without that person's knowledge, certainly without that person's consent, uh, and not simply um, uh, not simply comply with the law and say, well, look, that's the wrong thing to do. I won't do it. But it's also a question in criminal investigations and similar um, of identity and uh, you know state of mind and everything else, and, and that sort of publicity can change or swing the way in which case flows. Yeah, that, that, that's right, and. So, look, you know, the overall concern, um, and we've certainly expressed it at Australian Lawyers Alliance, we put out media release in relation to the COVID app and, and more generally the issue of security laws and surveillance laws is that if we're going to have these laws, there has to be on the other side of the balance sheet more adequate protections because otherwise um, we will get uh, abuse of power. Now, the other side of your uh, advocacy and proactivity in the legal space is you do look like look at uh, prisoners' rights and coronavirus has brought up a range of issues in relation to prisoner welfare, prisoner health. What are you seeing at the moment in Tasmania and elsewhere of concern? Well, look, I think what a lot of us are seeing, Tom, is that prisoners are spending uh, up to 23 hours a day in their cells with only an hour a day of, of exercise uh, because, uh, one, programs are not available um, because of COVID and social isolation. Um, secondly, they're not getting uh, face-to-face visits with family members, um, which makes life more stressful. Uh, and thirdly, um, we... Uh, remain very concerned about the fact that if COVID does get into a prison, and we have seen it get into some prisons in the United Kingdom and in um, the US, uh, it will spread like wildfire because social isolation in those institutions is extremely difficult. Um, Again, uh, through the Australian Lawyers Alliance, we uh, put out a release on this issue, I think, a week or two ago, and it's not just the prisons, uh, Tom. It's also immigration detention centres. I was showing some photos recently of an immigration detention centre exercise yard or exercise area 
it's impossible to practice social isolation in that area because it's so small. So our concern is that um, we haven't, for example, seen uh, any program to release people from detention or from uh, um, prisons. Uh, this is something that has happened to some extent in the United Kingdom and has had and has uh, happened in the United States, but it hasn't been happening in Australia. And so we, along with a very large number of other people who work in this space, uh, have real concerns about the health of prisoners and the health of people in immigration detention. Well, I think, Tom, we, what, what we've been calling for is um, legislation around Australia which enables uh, a government to release, for example, uh, some prisoners on remand who can be then put on bail, particularly, for non, in fact, for non-violent offences, we're talking about here, not offences of violence, uh, older prisoners who are coming to the end of their sentence who, for example, might have three or six months to go, um, and uh, but also on a case-by-case -case basis. If you've got uh, a person who's uh, demonstrably ill uh, with uh, COVID and you've got other prisoners who've had contact with that person, to have some sort of basis for quarantining those people and isolating those people without having to resort to 23 hours a day in a small cell. Okay. Are you seeing any, any moves for that kind of thing to be put in place? Well, New South Wales passed some legislation, Tom, you might recall, I think about a month ago now, yeah. uh, which allowed for uh, the removal of prisoners. Uh, we understand not one prisoner has been released under that law, despite the fact that it was brought in urgently for a very good reason, and that was to reduce the risk of COVID in prisons. I might say also uh, a number of courts have been releasing uh, people from detention, uh, or sorry, from prison, um, on the basis of the COVID risk, a number of people have been successful in obtaining bail because the courts are very aware of the, the difficulty which is created by being in prison in a very tough environment um, and also a very risky environment, particularly if you're a person who's got a susceptibility to something like COVID. If you, for example, got um, had uh, a heart condition or alternatively lung condition uh, and you're more susceptible to, uh, to picking up uh, uh, COVID, uh, then... Um, it's fundamentally important you're not put in a position where you're at higher risk. Okay, that, that's uh, an interesting perspective on the issue. Um, and, Greg, I think we've covered all of the topics that I've wanted to cover with you, so thank thanks. you for joining me today. Thank you, Tom. Delighted. And uh, thanks, for, uh, thanks for, to the audience for listening in, and I'll be back with another podcast reasonably soon.